Yes, it's me, Mike Stone, and this is the Backseat Driver Podcast. It's the fastest, it's the friendliest, and it's for all the family. The Gas Shocks 116 Trophy and 120 Coupe Cup are the fastest growing race series in the UK, taking in six one-hour races and eight sprints at all the top circuits. Visit 116trophy.com to find out more and get yourself behind the wheel. Classic motorbikes. Yes, I do look at two wheels besides four wheels, though I don't ride two wheels anymore. I discovered that uh, my sense of balance probably ain't all it should be. But my guest today is well known for his passion for two wheels. I'd also like to point out that his partner in crime was once a presenter on this august radio station, Jane Steele. But in this instance, I'd like to int- introduce Michael Steele to the Backseat Drive radio show. Michael, welcome on board. Good morning. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be back again. Now, for your sins, you've just become the chairman of the Air Valley Classic Motorcycle Club that used to be the Gerdy Fork and Classic Motorcycle Club uh, but it's a club that caters for all motorbikes 25 years or older. Tell me more, especially what is a Gerdy Fork motorcycle? It is indeed, I'm not too sure actually just how I came to be chairman, I think I sneezed or scratched <laughs> my nose at the wrong time in the AGM but there I am for my sins. Yeah, the Gerda Fork, the reason for the name change was that some of the members felt that the Gerda Fork part of it, the Gerda Fork was a, a front suspension system that was in operation before the Second World War. So it seemed to be sort of tying the club down to a time frame. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we thought, not only that, but... So a lot of people came, can I join your club? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, we, we do cater for everybody, but they thought we were just, just for ancient bikes. Yeah. And we're not. We cover the whole lot. Most of the members have modern bikes as well. Yeah. Well, I've well, always found that most motorbike riders and collectors, uh, even if they're into classic bikes, will have a modern one about somewhere for general daily use. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the problem is getting them, getting the backsides onto the seats of the classics and stopping them using the new ones all yeah. the time. Because they are probably the Because easiest. it's the easier way to do it. The, believe it or not, there's a little button on the end of the handlebar now yeah. that you can press and the thing starts up automatically. <laughs> I don't have one, but I've seen them in operation. They're a miraculous thing. And they seem to be a bit, some of them seem to be a bit addicted Most to Most of them are like pedals that you have to keep leaping up and down on. Or yes. Else, or else yeah. there's them yeah. that you have to yeah. run yeah. out road and if you it fires, you have to try and leap on it before it buggers you will be amazed how many people you will say, have you still got your 500 single? Yeah, I've still got it, but I can't start it now. <laughs> Why? So, yeah, the, the modern bikes are quite popular. We do have quite... quite I used to have, the last bike I had was a Honda, and that was Kickstart, and at times I used to sit in the garage exhausted and I ain't gone anywhere because of trying to kick the damn thing over. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a great great guy who used to used to race trucks but that's a, a club member, that's another story. And he's only he's only a little guy but I've never seen a more powerful guy for starting big bikes. <laughs> he, he had a, I saw him up at Ray Bike Night with a thousand Vincent. Yeah. And I, I hung about waiting waiting for the blood when he tried to start it, you know, waiting for it to fire him over the handlebar. <laughs> Not a problem. He just 
saunters up to it nonchalantly, tickles the carburetor and bang away. Where it goes. Yeah. So, I mean, classic motorbikes, I mean, a lot of my listeners know that I commentate at classic car shows, and a lot of the classic car shows, we get a selection of classic motorbikes. Not a lot, but we do get them. But there is an enthusiastic movement for classic motorbikes, is there not? Yeah, yeah, it's massive. You know, there are designated classic bike shows. There's big, big, two big ones at Stafford. And they're, they're, there are people coming from all over Europe for these things, you know. But the the local, most of the local steam rallies have quite an entry of classic bikes. But there are quite a lot of people still using these things, not not just for runs, but yeah. sporting, you know, riding long distance trials and stuff yeah. like that on original trials bikes. They're not people aren't frightened to use classic bikes. Yeah, they're out there. They're ridden. And I think the thing about a classic bike is, it's like classic cars, or if you go back to when these bikes weren't so much classic as they were current, people knew how to work on them. If it, if it wouldn't go, they used to get a spanner out, or hammer and lumpy yeah. one, and it had run and off they went, and there was none of this, oh well, we need to plug it into a laptop to see what's wrong with it. It's a great draw, is that? It is a fantastic. People still want that level of involvement. You'll yeah. see that in the classic car world. Yeah. We certainly do. People want to know how to how to fix them when they go wrong, and that was part of why the club were formed originally. Yeah. It, we did, but we just the original club was formed in 1996, and it was it, it came out of a pub meeting. Be, be, with a few like-minded guys. Strange, all these clubs all emanate from yeah. clubs. Yeah, well, this, this this sprang out of the guide at Keithley on the top of Harding Moor. Yeah. There's a lot of good things come out of the guide. <laughs> but the, the two two original uh, two original founders um, were... were um, sorry. But, so, carry on. The two original founders, Alec, Alec Feather and Alan Brasher, were, were the driving force behind it, and they formed they formed the club with a view to it being a melting pot for expertise, really, yeah. to keep it because people were running out of the knowledge to keep these on the road, and that's what it's done, and it's still. Well, that's that's doing. the one thing: proper mechanics for a dying breed, be it two, three, four wheels, or eight wheels. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that, that Alec Feather was steeped in it. He yeah. was he was a truck mechanic and and haulage man. He was he was steeped in mechanicing and bikes were his hobby. Yeah, but um, it still works nowadays. We still sort of pool knowledge, and if we get stuck, there's always somebody in the club you can ring who knows yeah. about the bike you're working on or whatever. And I conclude as well with classic bikes, like a lot of classic cars, as parts start drying up for them, you're either after second-hand ones or somewhere there will be somewhere they in the club with the knowledge of how to manufacture one of these parts they'll have a lathe in their garage and they'll be like here hang on lad i'll make you one of yeah them. strangely enough i i am after we leave here i'm going to a funeral and that's that's um he's an he was an engineer malcolm sedgwick he was an engineer from Connolly, yeah. and his son john has carried on in the same ilk yeah now the number of times john has bailed me out making parts getting out screws that I can't fix. Yeah. And he's always got time. Proper enthusiast. Malcolm, Malcolm bred a replacement. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. I suppose the other thing is, is knowing if a component's gone wrong or wants fixing or replacing, there's also the chance that you can use a part off a different make or a model of motorbike that will, that will do. It will do quite happily. 
you could okay it might not keep the authenticity of the originality of the bike but i had this debate not long ago about how originally certain things well most vehicles aren't original anymore because they've had the components replaced but you'll be able to use component a off bike b to repair bike c yeah that's that's true and people are, are using upgraded components modern components yeah. that look like the originals to just to keep the bikes on the road and to improve them. Yeah. I have a 19, I ride a lot, a 1941 matchless, ex-army matchless. Mm. That has a modern magneto for generating the sparks. Yeah. That looks like the old one. Yeah. But it guarantees first kickstart in whatever, whenever. Yeah. Would I change it for the original? No. No. No chance. <laughs> <laughs> no, we'll pass on that. Um, I mean, classic bikes, I mean, I like classic cars, and the one thing, the difference between a classic car and classic bike and modern car and modern bike, they are the classics are more involving to ride. You've got to know what you're doing with them a lot more, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, that, that's very true. But it, it is a sort of a rolling thing. When you've been in it a long time, we've discussed this before, when you've been in it a long time, and more modern classics are coming into the movement bear in mind 25 years old what are we at now this year 1997 yeah it will be this year it's quite easy to look at them and think well that's new yes and there are guys there are guys in the club that are riding bikes that they bought brand new in the 70s <laughs> and 80s so it's still their new bike yeah. even though it's well into the classic era and it's a bit difficult we've watched We've watched the Capris and, and things like that, the XR2s come online and, and as classics, and they were, those were new cars to us. Yes. So the thing's rolling all the time. Yeah. And I mean, there's this big debate now because, as I said, at the, some of the shows I commentate at, a lot of the classic bikes that appear are now Japanese. And I know there's this thing with a lot of bikers, if it's Japanese, it can't be a classic, but for others, a lot of the classic bikes in our jazz some of the some of the big earlier honda motorbikes and the one thing you do notice about them is okay it's, it's a japanese name on it etc but you can still see the influence of the british motorbikes in them oh yeah yeah it's the japanese the in part 1970 was a bit of a watershed in the classic bike movement the, that was the end or pretty much the end of the big British factories mm. and at that time the Japanese superbikes were coming into the market. Triumph had a go with a three-cylinder Trident and, and but it, w it was getting towards the end of the British and yeah. the Japanese were coming in. So we've now had the guys who, who grew up with those they were they were classic they were they're they're the classics that they're looking for yeah the early japanese fours the big hondas because they'll, the they'll, they'll what they remember riding new ones exactly and i mean they were a revelation yamaha the three-cylinder two-stroke that had outperformed a 750 yeah you know, these <laughs> were, things moved rapidly then yeah and yeah they, they have a massive following of their own the ducatis from the 80s and 90s they're classic now yeah and and rightly so and the interesting thing is, you, if anybody goes to a bike show, you've got, besides some of the old English names that have come back, uh, like CCMs and things like that, you've got BSA no, and Royal Enfield. I mean, Royal Enfield are no longer a British motorbike. 
they, well they're not made here but they're, they're as British as they get and they're now attracting a strong following but these bikes I mean one of them they do is based on similar to what you probably ride the matchless etc a dispatch riders bike from the second world war and these bikes are gaining incredible momentum and they're a 350 but as you said a modern 350 engine mm -hmm. is as good as a 750 or a thousand in many ways yeah they're very popular in the club as, as modern bikes are the, the new generation of Enfields and yeah. they, are, they are very very good they're reliable they're changed in about 2008 the original um, one that dated back to the 1940s, 1950s, yeah. um, ceased to be made. They had, they had to move mm. forward with the times. They went, they changed the gearbox. Yeah. They changed. They went onto electric start and all that sort of thing. But I owned one of the last of the original Indian Enfields, mm. and they were very much a 50s bike. Yeah. I sold it to a young man who thought it was all very romantic, <laughs> and he hated it. <laughs> Well, I mean, the modern, what you might call the modern interpretation of an old English bike, a British bike, what do they like to ride? And do they, do they evoke the originals? Yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah, they, they are pretty good. Yeah. But they're a, lot, they're a lot smoother, a lot more refined. They start when they're supposed to do. <laughs> I don't know whether that's an advantage or not. I think it is. But, I mean, once, I mean like one of the great British classics that's renowned even amongst people who aren't into motorbikes is like things like the Vincent Black Shadows. I mean, are, are, what is the allure of these bikes? Apart from the fact that the, the Black Shadow's probably rare and very expensive. Yeah, that's the downside to them. But the upside was that they were years and years ahead of the time. Yeah. They, they, had, they had modern monoshock suspension mm. years before it, was, before it came, became mainstream. The engines were absolutely bomb-proof. There was one guy who used to um, he used to do continental tours with a Vincent, and I think the thing had clocked up half a million miles. Yeah, and it was documented. You know, it would have it reboard at one hundred and fifty thousand. <laughs> have the big end done at two hundred and fifty. I mean, this for it. That's why you paid so much money for the Vincents. The yeah. performance and the reliability. That's so you got what you paid for. Yeah, but now they're, they're unaffordable. Right. Well, unless <laughs> there are a lot of people still buying them, having said that. Yeah. But I mean, beyond that, the bruffs, the bruff superiors, you mm. you'll pay. Well, uh, two hundred thousand's been paid at auction for a project, a rusty project. Yeah. Eye watering money. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, how many of your club members ride these or own these great names and bikes? Well, we've debated that. We don't know how many regular riders we've got because we, we run a programme of, of rides through the summer. Yeah. And we've, we do evening rides, we do um, pure classic rides, what we call trundles. Yeah. They're great fun. And we've got the Sunday rides. So we've got different guys running them. And we've, we've often debated how many are active riders. But I think the criteria for for being in the club is that you have to have an interest in classic bikes not to own one not to ride one so yeah. it's largely irrelevant but we see quite a selection of faces it's we, there's quite a lot are still getting out and about on yeah. the bikes the classic runs during the week there are quite a few of us are retired now so we meet during during the week half past nine or something on a tuesday morning yeah and they're all b-road runs yeah we we're very fortunate here that 
we've just been talking about that is with your Morgan. Mm. We've got fantastic roads within easy distance. Well, within, I mean, Yorkshire is full of great roads. Yeah, five or ten minutes and you're in them. It's not like you live in Greater Manchester or something where you've got 20 miles of driving or riding before you're on a good driver's or rider's road. Yeah. Five minutes and we're in the Dales. Yeah. And we try, with these trundles, we try not to touch the A roads. Yeah. Or, or certainly not the main roads. We'll seek out the, the old routes, you know, through, through very, but we'll go up Barbondale or up Dentdale or, yeah. you know, we'll seek out routes that, that aren't normally ridden. Mm. And they're absolutely fantastic. We've do, got do, some, do you plot these routes beforehand? Do you just set off and we'll, we'll go to such a place? Depends who's leading it. All right. Um, there are a couple of us who tend to research them and, and sort of put a fair bit of effort into beforehand yeah. but there's another guy who has a large collection of bikes who just turns up does what he, does what he wants to do on the day yeah. and his runs are always good I've spent a lot of my miles a guy's called Colin Wilson, he's got a fantastic collection of bikes but he rides them Yeah. he turned up last year with a, a 1939 Norton, 500 Norton mm. he bought it off a mate of his yeah. it had been in a cellar for donkey's years it was rusty, it was scruffy, there were bits falling off it. So he sorted the thing well, out. But it went. It went. Yeah. Well, it did eventually. <laughs> so reluctantly, he got this thing going. Mm. And that had Gerda Forks, and it yeah. looked ancient. And he rode it. He rode it all summer. He did about 5,000 miles. No, he didn't. A couple of thousand miles yeah. he did on this bike. And every time we parked up somewhere and went for a bacon sandwich or whatever, there were a bloody crowd around yeah. There were a crowd around it. And it, the thing it created a lot more interest than the restored stuff. Yeah. People are strange. I was going to say, for, it's a bit like classic cars. You see a lot of these classic cars and classic bikes that somebody has fortunately been in the position of being able to spend an enormous amount of money on restoring them. And they look better than they did in the day when they were brand new. The problem with them is a lot of these bikes and cars very, very rarely get used because they might get wet, they might get a stone chip, they might, but the ones full of, what, what's the modern phrase for it, the ones full of patina, mm. that's a polite way of saying still rusty up top, <laughs> there is something very, very appealing about these because the bikes look like they've had a constant working life from the day they rolled yeah. out the factory. And this appeals greatly to people that yeah. it looks like it's being used. Yeah, that bike told its own story. Yeah. It had a handmade pillion seat that somebody had stitched from leather. <laughs> you know, it was you couldn't you couldn't have, you couldn't have, have forged that bike. It, yeah. it was obviously what it appeared to be. Yeah. It had had a life. So I mean, what are your own bikes? Because I know you have a collection. Most most classic bike enthusiasts have a collection. Yeah, I don't want to go into that deeply on yeah. air because Jane hasn't a clue what, right. what I own. <laughs> so, no, we've, we've um, my my mate and I have done a lot of miles on 1960s Triumphs. Yeah. Um, Bonnevilles and the single cab version. Yeah. And they are probably one of, for our money, they are one of the best users on the market. They are affordable, they're reliable, fast, the well brake, the keep up with modern traffic, they have been bang on. Yeah. So my favourite was a 69 Bonneville. Yeah. Came in from America in 2014, I'd done, I did 10,000 miles on it without anything other than routine maintenance. 
but unfortunately it was stolen last year. Oh. So that ended that. Yeah. So we've now bought another one from America. <laughs> so <laughs> whether that will live up to the number one, I don't know. We'll, the jury's out on that. The um, I use a 1944 matchless 350 army bike yeah second world war army bike which um took me all day to buy down at stafford show from a dentist from pateley bridge you can imagine two two yorkshiremen haggling about a bike yeah it took all afternoon <laughs> and it threw the uniform in but he said it's got a uniform that comes i said what do i want a uniform for <laughs> he said i've done a lot of reenactments i thought yeah Anyway, Jane, Jane's banned me from wearing the uniform, right. so it was no good anyway. What, what, what's the uniform out of interest? <laughs> it's Second World War. I'm a uniform. All right. It's, it's, dispatch it's ride is all yeah, right. Yeah, dispatch ride is uniform. Yeah, leather waistcoat, big gloves and everything. It's wonderful. But Jane, I would allowed to wear it once, and then she said no. Never again. Just put that away. <laughs> Loft. <laughs> do you know any history on the bike? No, I'd love to do. It's it's dark, it's army green. Yeah. But the green paint is peeling off all over the place, and it's got the desert sand um, sort of yellow colour underneath. So it looks like it's been in the Western Desert or somewhere. Right. I don't know. So it's it's been painted in desert camouflage colours first. Yeah. Um, it's got little little steel plates on, which signify it's been through the Remy workshops. Mm. So the army, it's been seen active service. The army have worn it out once. Yeah. Brought it in and reconditioned it and then put these little plates on so they know they've reconditioned it yeah. so it, it's it's gone again yeah <laughs> so it's still going on its second engine so i don't know <laughs> how long it'll carry on and i really don't know <laughs> i've had some fun out of it so i mean does it have all its bits and pieces for like carrying the messages and all the rest does it have yeah. all the the army the army yeah, accessories yeah. yes it's got panniers and stuff like that you'll often see it in summer parked outside skipton morrison's doing the <laughs> shopping <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a very useful thing to have. I, mean, I did, I did actually, I did a long distance trial with it because it was the only bike I, did, I had. I didn't have a proper trials bike. And I entered a thing called the Beamish Trophy Trial a few years ago before the lockdown. Yeah, and um, I showed the thing up at, up at Laban the week before. Rode it back over a, over a green lane over Dead Man's Hill into Pateley Bridge to yeah. try it out. And then got it home on the Monday, took the lights off it, put a trials tyre on the back, took off everything that it didn't need to be legal, and entered it in the beamish. <laughs> <laughs> Me and it managed uh, managed 44th place out of 150. Well, it's so not we bad going, is it? No, not for, a th not for a thing with its lights stripped off and, and a trials tyre on the back. <laughs> Sadly, I, I entered again last year, proper trials bike this time, and... Uh, it was a big mistake. I should have stuck to the army bike. Yeah. Me and the proper trials bike came a proper crop. <laughs> so I ended up breaking my collarbone. <laughs> so we, we retired in disgrace, me and the bike. So you mentioned Triumphs. I mean, I conclude Triumphs still have a serious following. I mean, I know there's the modern Triumphs that seem to do especially well. But I conclude the old, the no. 60s Triumphs are still one of the bikes to own. Yeah, they are. They are reliable. If you, if you look after them, they'll look after you. They do what it says on the tin. Yeah. They're brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Because, um, I mean, one of the... I mean, like you said, you brought it in from America. One thing that immediately springs to mind is Clint Eastwood riding one in Coogan's Bluff. Or well, there were two of them in Coogan's Bluff because the, the bad guy had one and they rode it round yeah. the park in San Francisco. Yeah. 
Um, American film stars seem, seem to have an affinity for triumphs. There's an awful lot. I think Elvis owned a triumph. And of course, one well, of the, certainly McQueen. McQueen's say, synonymous. One of, the, one of the most synonymous riders, because I mean, everybody said if Steve McQueen hadn't been an actor, he would have been a professional bike racer. Yeah. Um, the well, other, I, I mean, that that were of its time. How did they let him get away with that? You know, the insurers wouldn't, wouldn't have let him near a bike. Well, I mean, that was the one great thing. I mean, everybody has seen the film The Great Escape, where McQueen, there's that fantastic motorbike sequence. Yeah. Most people don't realise the motorbike that was made to look like a, a Wehrmacht motorbike, a BMW, was in fact a Triumph. It was indeed. And the famous leap over the barbed wire fence, they would not ensure McQueen to ride that. So it was his mate, Bud Eakins, who did the leap. Although McQueen said he'd quite happily do it and was more than capable of doing it. But once again, that was a triumph in action with a legendary, or two legendary riders on yeah. board. Once again, enforcing or reinforcing the Americans' passion for British motorbikes. Yeah, yeah, indeed. I mean, that, everybody... <laughs> Everybody remembers that. That did that did more for Triumph, I suppose, than any advertising campaign. That, yeah, that film. And I suppose I mean they tried to keep it quiet for a long while that it was a Triumph, didn't they? Oh, everybody knew about it though. Yeah. <laughs> As I said, McQueen was synonymous with Triumph, but I mean he was a serious player. He did the international six-day trials several times. Yeah, and and performed well. He was a good rider, very good rider. The Americans have uh, have always had an affinity for off-road riding and off-road bikes. Yeah. And in the 60s, we we used to look at the bikes that they were getting and, and envy them because we couldn't buy anything like that here. You could buy a Bonneville that were on open pipes, you know, yeah. just for desert racing, stripped and stripped to next to nothing, no lights on it, or, or straight straight through pipes. It sounded phenomenal. Yeah. And the Americans could buy them, just walk into a dealer and buy things like that. We could only dream of them. Yeah. This is why so many bikes have come back from America. The American the American Triumphs were stylish. They were yeah. nice looking things. And I mean, if you wanted to bring one in from the states, how do you go about it? Uh, it's it's a well oiled mechanism now. There are an awful lot of dealers that will um, that will ship them over to UK. You can't. We've we've bought them in the UK and, and had them shipped from that end. Yeah. But the last one I bought was was absolutely painless. I bought it online. You can. You, well, you, I talked to the guy beforehand. I bought it, paid for it, and it was delivered into Liverpool. And I picked it up from of all places, Barrow in Furness. He's got a man with his feet on the ground in Barrow in Furness. Yeah. And it was just a matter of turning up with the trailer and picking the bike up. It was everything he said. It was his pictures were accurate. The bike was okay. Do you have to do anything to them to make them legal for the UK roads? No, they don't have left-hand drive bikes. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, they're, they're basically they're okay. Yeah. They, they, everybody, everybody was nervous of the. Um, system for registering these bikes. Because I mean, the one thing you've got to do is give it an English registration number. Yes, it? yes, but as long as I think one of the main things is that it comes with the American registration documents. Yeah. If it comes with those, it's relatively straightforward. Right. A lot of people are very nervous of, of the system. The DVLA, rightly or wrongly, got quite a bad reputation for being a bit pedantic about it and being difficult to deal with. Yeah. But actually, if you stick to their rules and do exactly what they tell you to do, the system's not bad. Right. They have, they have a system 
called NOVA, N-O-V-A, Notification of Vehicle Arrival. So you've got to make a NOVA declaration to HMRC. Yeah. And they will then issue um, issue a number which proves that you've paid all the duties yeah. and that it can go ahead and that's that's crucial it can go ahead and be, be registered in the uk then right. there's nothing old and that surprisingly enough it still applies to barn fines and anything that's lost its v5 anything right. that's not on the computerized system now yeah. if if you if you buy an old bike or a car that's been in a barn for years you will need a no you will need to notify the customs they will issue a number to say that the, you don't owe any tax on it then you can go forward that's first base the nova number yeah apart from that it's straightforward right but all the importation duties and everything else are all paid for before the bike arrives yeah, in you, the country you, well you pay those at the docks all right so that's that's paid on arrival yeah um, I think there's 5% VAT to pay and that's yeah. it, uh, on, on classic vehicles. And do you get your registration number beforehand? No, no, that's that's up to you. You used to have to get a UK MOT to register them, but you do it now on classics. Yeah. If they're MOT exempt, they register them with that. So they're like the cars, after a certain period of time or a certain age, yeah. they're For MOT exempt? Yes, yeah, 40, 40 years rolling, I think it is, isn't right. it? Right. Um, they're MOT exempt, yeah. yeah, and free tax. Uh, just out of interest, your the Air Valley Classic Motorbike Club. How many members have imported bikes? Is it quite a popular thing with your guys? Um, I wouldn't say it was popular, but there are quite a few imported bikes about. Yeah, a lot of the bikes are, are restored UK bikes. Yeah, and the, you know the. People used to look down a bit on the imported bikes, but there's a lot going for them. The Americans, strangely enough, considering that, that they've got better weather than us by and large, yeah. don't seem to do a lot of mileage on them. No. You know, it's, it's quite common. We bought bikes with, that have been, you know, 1970s bikes that yeah. have less than 5,000 miles on. No. I don't know whether they use them as, whether they're a bit more status symbols. Here, yeah. people buy bikes to use yeah. and use them. And a bike that age will have will have had a life. It'll have been used. It'll have been worn out. It'll have been rebuilt. And yeah. It's very rare that you will find them that have been sat in a garage doing nothing. Yeah. But the Americans, this this Bonneville that I've just bought is 1970, um, so that makes it 50 odd years old. Yeah. It's got 11,000 miles on the clock. Right. And that will be genuine. And I conclude with the popularity of like the Triumph Bonneville's parts, so there'll be specialists who will happily supply new parts for them. Yeah, we all, we all panicked in the 70s. We all thought, oh God, the factory's gone bust, be, that'll be it. And I started storing parts for bikes I were riding, just yeah. in case. But it never happened. There's a massive, massive industry now remanufacturing parts. Some yeah. of them are better than others, but by and large, that you can buy parts of a decent quality to keep your bike on the road. Yeah. You're always better keeping the original factory parts when you can, though. Yeah. Because it's very rare that the pattern parts are as I good. I was going to say, I know there's a, a, a company, or there's a few companies, but there's one reproduces a well-known British brand, especially electrical components. But they it wouldn't it have anything to do with the Prince of Darkness, would it? <laughs> Joe Lucas. <laughs> yes, you can still buy Lucas components in Lucas boxes. But they aren't made in England, as you said. The Prince of Darkness hasn't out to do him anymore. <laughs> uh, they're made in India, and 
at times, I mean, I've seen some where the wiring inside is completely back to front. They have to take the brand new component in bits and rewire it and put it back together again to make it work. Yeah, but on the other hand, you can you can buy an ignition switch for a, for a nineteen seventy Bonneville that will do the job perfectly for something like twelve quid off eBay. But it's got Lucas <laughs> on the box. So does it matter that much if it breaks? No. And the one question that has to be asked, because it was always the one known thing. Classic bike enthusiasts, motorbike enthusiasts, used to rebuild engines on the kitchen table. Does this still happen? I am conscious that my wife may be listening to this. <laughs> no, it, it, yes, I have, I have single friends who certainly do that sort of thing, but yeah. I, think, I think the women folk generally stop this. I, I did have a case where... Um, to put new bearings into aluminium crankcases, you need to heat them to a yeah. decent temperature. And the and ovens I, in the I, kitchen. Yeah, and she did surprisingly enough. I'm sort of saying, I don't know, how I'm going to heat this. She said, Why don't you bring it into the kitchen and do it in my oven? <laughs> well, you can imagine. I don't think she'd realise what she'd let herself in for. You can imagine by the time this got up to temperature, all the oil were boiling out of the crankcases. <laughs> I did it while she were out. <laughs> And I mean, a, a great friend of mine who shall remain nameless, but he has been a guest on the show, um, got divorced. Uh, and he got divorced around Christmas time. And to celebrate this fact, over the Christmas period, his classic motorbike was sat in the lounge in lieu of a Christmas tree. And he said it was one of the best Christmases he's ever had. Not because he got shut of the wife, but because his beloved motorbike that was normally uh, sat all on its tod in the garage was sat in his lounge all decorated up for Christmas. He said it's one of the best Christmases I ever had, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, beats a Christmas tree any time. I mean, I think that's the one thing classic bike enthusiasts have a different frame of mind to classic car enthusiasts don't they it, it's it's like an ethos it's a way of life is a classic motorbike isn't it yeah it's one of the last great freedoms yeah because there's, there's something satisfying about doing a considerable amount of miles on a bike that you've probably built with your own hands yeah the, the, the only thing that's keeping it from breaking down is your expertise it's <laughs> only only as good as you are yeah and yeah it's it is it is a great adventure i i i've when I had the last Bonneville, I would go to Whitby sometimes on a Saturday for fish and chips. Why? Yeah. Because I could. Yeah. <laughs> I, I could have gone in the car, but it wouldn't have had the same same feeling, of same sense of achievement. Yeah. Parking the Bonneville on the seafront in Whitby and getting magpie fish and chips and ri riding it back again. You know, what could be better? <laughs> and the question has to be asked, does Jane ride pillion with you, or does Jane ride her own motorbikes? No, no. I had a Harley when I met Jane and we did a deal she was heavily into horses at the time and she said if you learn to ride horses i will go on the back of the harley yeah i said yeah all right yeah i'll do that no problem yeah it's a horse what can go wrong so we tried we got from cross hills down as far as bradley lane end and there was the tap on the shoulder she said can we go home this isn't for me <laughs> So that was the end of my horse riding career and her bike riding career. So the one thing for you, it's it's a pleasantly singular pastime is riding motorbikes. Yeah, yeah, I think it is for most of us. Most of the club members, there's an odd one or two bring the wives, but not not many. Mostly, it's a it's a male thing. Yeah, yeah. it's great fun because it, it, on the rides out, part of the fun will be finding bro decent brew stops. Oh, that's the one and, thing. And when, as the summer goes on, the brew stops get longer and longer, and the rides get shorter and shorter. <laughs> and, well, I, I, 
said to one one guy said the other week we, uh, last year back end of last year um, we were talking about where we were going mm. oh Elaine's cafe up at Pfizer it's mm. great is it oh Elaine's well I've got to come on that I'm coming for the scones ah. we're bothered about the right Elaine's scones were an irresistible draw we've got uh, <laughs> there's nothing like food for getting classic bikers out and, and on, <laughs> on the saddle we do a fish and chip night we've the membership, the club membership's 15 quid a year, mm. but being Yorkshiremen, we want something back for that. Yeah. So we have one night where we where we have free fish and chips. We have a sort of an impromptu classic show in Settle on yeah. the car park, and fish and chip, free fish and chips. That brings them out in droves. <laughs> you can, but and and the other one, we do, we have a, a members a members show night. Yeah. Where we do free pie and peas. So free f food is a great draw. If somebody wants to get in touch with the Air Valley Classic Motorcycle Club, uh, also previously known as the Gerdy Forking Classic Motorcycle Club, how do they get in touch? They can just turn up. We, we meet on the first Tuesday of the month at Silsden Sports Club, which is on the left-hand side as you're just going into Silsden from the bypass. Um, we can, we've, we've got, you can find us on Facebook, although the name will change shortly. The the group it's it's under Gerda Fork at the moment. Um, the we would we, we the my telephone number will be posted regularly. Yeah. So you can you'll find us at, at most of the big shows, but the big our big flagship event is the Big Bike Sunday, which we run at um, Skipton Auction Mart. For anybody who's interested, it's the last Saturday, last Sunday in June. Yeah. And we we've got it's open to any sort of bikes. Yeah, it's it, anything as the advertising blurb said a couple of years ago. It's it's anything from pioneer to modern superbikes, and right. that sums it up. Two or three wheels, trikes, yeah. anything, and we get quite a turnout for that. We but the proceeds go to go to charity. Yeah. We support the air ambulance and we support Manalance and one of the one of the generators. It's a great it really is a great Michael Steele or Mick, Mike Steele or Mick Steele. Thank you very much for joining me on the Backseat Driver Radio Show. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Really beaten on price, never beaten on service. Whether it's cars, bikes or commercials, Hoddy Tyres are the best in the business. And when it comes to tyre expertise and advice to supplying the correct tyres for your vehicle's specific requirements, nobody comes close to David Lakin and the Hoddy Tyres team. So give them a call on 01200 613 192 or visit the website at hoddytyres.co.uk.